This is a CJSR podcast. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Campus and community. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. Radio. Radio and and podcast. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to That's Food by CJSR. A podcast made with love telling the backstory to food one meal at a time. I'm your host, Marae Choquette. So today we're going to be chatting with a former colleague and now my dear friend, Faiza Ramji, Canadian producer and co-founder of Field Notes, as we explore the hidden wonders of the Alberta prairies. Field Notes is one of the first companies in North America to make spirits from distilled Alberta peas. And we're going to be speaking with Faiza about her journey from snack food to pea milk to a garden tomorrow, which has just launched here in Alberta. But before we get there, it's time for the snack fact. Okay, so the term Amari, Amaro in singular, encompasses a number of bitter herbed infused liqueurs. So traditionally they're made from infusing grapes and brandies with a super secret blend of herbs and aromatics. This bitter brew is then sweetened and aged and the end result is it produces anywhere between 16 to 35 percent by alcohol volume. So you've swirled Negronis, you've sipped Fernets with the best of them, but there is definitely more to Amari than meets the aperitif, shall we say. So what is this blend of super secret herbs and aromatics? And can this Italian liqueur also be made in Alberta? Let's dive in and find out. Hello, Faiza, and welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have a more formal conversation with you. Um, You know, I know we've been colleagues since I think it was 2015 and definitely friends since 2017 our our work trip to to Europe really sealed the deal yeah I'm actually surprised it didn't uh it didn't drive us further apart but here we are happy to say here we are I mean if you can travel with someone to share a European-sized hotel room we're we're buds for life thank you for joining the show I want to know more you know uh, I know a little bit about your history of from snack foods to peat pea milk to now garden amaro um you're a hustler to say the least but before we dive into that given we are a food podcast we like to start from the beginning with our famous question what did you have for breakfast this morning you know what so it's interesting i've developed a little bit of an egg insensitivity lately so i've had to become creative in a space where I'm normally pretty routine and pretty boring. Um, So this morning I ate um, a breakfast that my sister turned me on to. It's a little bit of a free canvas for whatever you want, but the way I do it is a little bit of um, multi-grain toast that has some interesting seeds and, and, you know, grains in it. I toast it. I put some cottage cheese on it, which I know sounds really weird, but it's actually really delicious. And then I top it with avocado and a little bit of uh, duca seasoning, which is a Middle Eastern mix of nuts and seeds and spices. And I just kind of sprinkle that on top for a little bit of extra delicious flavor. And it keeps me full till lunch. So it's the best breakfast. Okay, so you definitely recommend this? Oh, 100%. And if you don't like the avocado, or you feel like something sweeter, then you can drizzle some honey on it, put some fruit on it, kind of whatever you want. It's really a, a great experimentation platform. I love it. It's so diverse. I'm obsessed with cottage cheese on toast. 
um, with pepper and salt. It is, I can eat like six slices. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, it is a problem, but it's, it's good. Like you wouldn't, I never thought to put it on toast. I always would have thought to just have it in a bowl with, mm -hmm. you know, some fruit or just by itself or whatever, but the toast definitely adds, you know, a texture that you're, you're kind of missing sometimes with just the cottage cheese. So now that you've had a breakfast of champions, we're going to dive right in. So Faiza, tell me, what is your background? Where did you grow up? I grew up here in Edmonton, uh, born and raised. Um, and I'm happy to say that because I, I love, you know, um, the community in this city. I think it's a, a really unique city where everybody kind of gets to be themselves and can find somebody that they can build a little bit of a community with. Um, it always surprises people to see how collaborative and how diverse Edmonton is. Um, and I think that's just because of what we think of when we, we think of the prairies where we're not from here. Um, so I've been here my whole life and I've worked in a ton of different industries. I started out in finance and then I moved into media and marketing and technology and all these places. Um, and eventually I landed in economic development. That's where you and I met. And I worked there for about four years and I really learned about all the amazing things this city has to offer the world. And I was surprised to see such a gap between what we create here and what we actually offer as a finished product to the world. And so that was kind of my first foray into the potential of, of export uh, from Edmonton or from Alberta. And now I run a marketing uh, strategy firm called On Purpose. And I also own a liquor brand called Field Notes, where we are making some pretty interesting liqueurs out of surprising prairie ingredients. Okay, so let's go back for a minute. I really want to dive in. So Edmonton Economic Development Corporation is kind of, you mentioned where you really got that firsthand view um, at export in Alberta, trade and investment on food and agriculture. How did this, how did the insights to that really set you up for success on this path to launching Field Notes? Well, you know, I think it's a, it's a multitude of things. So ever since I was young, I've been interested in this idea of global business. Um, you know, my, my grandfather and his brothers owned a company in Pakistan where they imported and exported uh, industrial chemicals. And my grandfather taught me a lot about uh, global markets. He, he talked to me a lot about business travel to Germany and to Switzerland and all these cool places. And then as I grew up and I got into the finance world, it, it just felt like you know, if you're talking about business, you want to be talking on a global scale. Um, and it, and nowadays, I mean, it seems so much easier than it did, than it's ever been. And when I was at in economic development, there was a few different things I learned along the way that really stuck with me. So the first was this, this kind of random anecdote, and I don't know how accurate it is, but I, I'm pretty sure it's fairly accurate, that 80% of Alberta businesses rely on 100% of revenue from Alberta. Um, in order to keep their doors open. Now that to me is is quite staggering because I know we come, we we develop a lot of amazing solutions here in Alberta, whether it's tech based, product based, whatever that might be. Um, you know, we have a lot of talent here. And so the fact that we're not expanding globally is both surprising to me, but also feels very risky uh, because, you know, I mean, we've seen it with COVID, but you see the change in economic climates and it can happen so quickly. And if you're relying on this place for 100% of your revenues, you're potentially in a lot of trouble if something goes wrong. Um, and then when I moved into the trade and investment team, I was asked to help 
build a brand for Edmonton um, globally and, and help us get markets ready to receive products from here. But what I learned very quickly is that part of the problem is we don't have an export mindset. So companies that are developing things here are so humble in what they're creating that they want to do something for our community and they want to make something better for their neighbor or for the city or for the province, but they're not necessarily thinking about the rest of the world. And you could say that our, our neighbors uh, to the South in, in the U S are a little bit more worldly in their thinking. And some might say a little more arrogant and, and think about the world first and then their own backyard. But I think there's a balance between the two. And it's very surprising to me that we are on the side of that scale where we don't necessarily think export first. And I think that's changing, um, but it's a slow process because it is a lot of risk for people. And it's, it's a big thing to wrap your head around, but I think we need to do that because of the fact that we have so many great raw ingredients here. And I mean that both literally and figuratively, just with the, the type of um, the type of brains we have in this city and the type of creative spirits that we have in this city. So that's where I always thought that, you know, if I, if I do something, I want the experience of creating a product out of something that we grow here, our agriculture, because in Alberta, we grow a lot of what feeds the world when it comes to lentils, chickpeas, peas, wheat, canola, oats, a lot of those things. And, and we definitely export a lot of them as raw goods, but we don't export a ton of them as finished goods. And to me, that feels like we're really leaving something on the table in terms of our creativity uh, in terms of creating jobs here and in terms of creating a little bit of global recognition for all of the amazing things that come from our province. It sounds like you learned a ton from Edmonton Economic Development that set you up for success in launching this garden tomorrow. But when you talk about these um, ingredients we have in our, our Alberta backyard, tell me more about what, let's let's dive into to the product you launched and how that coincides with these ingredients of Alberta and what that connection looked like for you to ultimately launch this garden tomorrow. Sure, yeah. So, you know, when I first started, like I said, I just wanted to go through the experience of creating a product made from pulses, which are peas, beans, lentils, that kind of category of legume. And so I thought it would be fairly easy to just start a snack food. Like, it doesn't seem that hard. You just mix a bunch of things together, put it in a package and throw it on a shelf. And I didn't really need any like massive manufacturing. So I thought that would be the easiest thing to do. And so saying, you know, kind of putting my flag in the ground saying I am doing this helped me get into a lot of really interesting conversations with some very creative and dynamic people and people who really know what they're talking about when it comes to Alberta agriculture. And so I started chatting with the folks over at Nate at the Center for Culinary Innovation. And of course, they were really excited about somebody wanting to do something with pulses because they're big champions of that industry. And so then they connected me with a farmer from Carstairs, who is now my business partner, Lindsay Good. And he owns a hundred year old farm where they started with being a ranch and then have converted now into a grain pulse and oilseed farm. And we started chatting about the potential for um, pulses. And he was really interested in helping create more demand for these types of crops, obviously, because he grows them. And so do a lot of his good friends. And so as I started to explore, um, I kind of decided that the snack food would actually be very expensive on the retail side and maybe not exactly the best product if I want to find something that's kind of a differentiator. And so we started actually looking at dairy alternatives. And initially we thought about oat milk, and this is way before the big craze. It was kind of at the beginning of the oat milk craze. And we thought it was interesting that there weren't any 
Alberta companies participating in this uh, in this industry because obviously we grow a ton of oats here. And so we started researching that. And then it seemed like there was a lot of big companies that were kind of just on the cusp of launching. And obviously they've got huge experience and marketing budget and support. So we thought, okay, well, you know, maybe we're not setting ourselves up for success here, but what about peas? And a lot of people don't know that you can actually make a dairy alternative out of peas. And uh, we, again, worked with the Center for Culinary Innovation to create a formula that would be well used in coffee shops by baristas. So the difference between a consumer product and a barista style product is just the amount of fat content. So if you can get a richer beverage, then you can froth it, you can create that beautiful latte art, and it also gives your coffee a rich mouthfeel. And so that's kind of what we were on the cusp of launching, uh, and then COVID hit. And so, of course, in our in our minds, we thought, oh, okay, well, it's a little bit of a hiccup, you know, the world's going to shut down for a month or so, and then we'll be back to it. And lo and behold, two years later, here we are still not not fully back into things. But we kind of abandoned the idea because Pea milk does not sound very appetizing. And I just couldn't imagine somebody going up to a counter at a coffee shop and saying, I'd love a, a tall pea milk latte, please, without actually having a sample of it. And so sampling was a big part of our strategy. And without the opportunity to do that, it just felt like we should put it on hold and, and maybe just pump the brakes for a bit. So we did that. And in that time, I read an article about people in the U.S. starting to uh, make beer from beans and, and brewing beans instead of grains. And I think some people in, in the prairies are doing that as well. I believe there's some folks in Saskatchewan um, and Alberta that are experimenting with, with beans. And so I thought, well, you know, peas are starchy, just like grains, and they've got some similar makeup. I wonder if we can distill peas and turn them into an alcohol. And so I found a local distillery here that was willing to help me formulate uh, a product that's the Fort Distillery out in Fort Saskatchewan. Amazing folks over there. And I went to Nathan and I said, hey, you know what? I've got this idea, but I'm not a distiller and I don't have the facility. Would you mind experimenting with me? And he's like, yeah, of course, just bring over some peas and let's see what we can create. And the idea for me was not to create a gin or vodka, but of course, vodka is kind of the base for, for a lot of liqueur uh, because we have a lot of great producers in this province already. But what I thought could be really interesting is how do we add more Alberta ingredients into that and turn it into an Amaro, which is an herbal liqueur um, that kind of has, you know, Italian roots, but also very widely adopted in other parts of Europe. And it's just a drink that you can have in a really simple manner, either before or after a big meal. It helps your digestion. It helps prime your yourself for that meal. Um, and often it has, you know, roots or bark or seeds that are a little bit more medicinal in in their nature uh, so things like fennel anise you know licorice elderflower all that kind of stuff and so we created what we call don't call me sweet pea which is a garden amaro gotta ask how did you come up with this name it's so clever Oh, thank you. You know, it's so funny. So in COVID, I started this, uh, what I call my old lady habit, which is to go for a walk around my neighborhood for an hour every morning. Um, and I did it just to kind of kind of stay sane, I think, at the beginning when we were all trapped in our houses. And what I found is that I really, I really got a lot of clarity and, and thinking about things that I wasn't even actually actively trying to think about when I was walking. And so that's where I came up with the name Field Notes first. Um, and then for Don't Call Me Sweet Pea, it kind of also just came to me because peas are really fun. You can have a lot of fun with that word and you can come up with a lot of different 
um, you know, takes on, on common phrases and things like that, like give peas a chance or easy peasy or say peas as, as you came up with for me. Um, and, you know, I was kind of walking and I thought, don't call me sweet pea is fun because it's cute, but edgy, you know, it is kind of this idea of like people disregarding a new idea, um, or a new, new, new way of thinking or something. And it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a response to that. Um, but yet it also tells you what's in the product, which is, is peas. I love it. It's so clever. And I saw one of the recent posts you did kind of letting some of the secret ingredients out of the bag, dandelion, elderflower, Labrador tea, honey. I mean, all of these ingredients individually, I love. And after having tasted, um, don't call me sweepy. It's just, there's so many different flavor profiles. It's so fun to drink. Um, but for people who haven't tasted this yet, how do you recommend they drink it? Like what is your favorite way that you've tasted it that you're like, yes, this is how I recommend. So, you know, when I initially started it, the goal was to make something for the cocktail curious. So somebody who maybe enjoys drinking cocktails when they're out, but doesn't have a huge bar in their home. I wanted to make it simple enough that you could enjoy just on its own, but complex enough that you can really taste the different uh, ingredients that are in there. And so the first way I used to always recommend it is just simply on the rocks with, with, you know, some cold ice, swirl it around a little bit and then take a, take a nice little sip. Um, but every time I find people doing something new and interesting with it, that becomes my new favorite. So the first drink I started to really make on the regular was a spritz and I would just squeeze some fresh lemon in there or some fresh orange and then top it up with soda water. And again, very refreshing, very, because it's so herbaceous and light in, in nature. Um, I don't feel like it needs a lot. But then I, I was over at Biera on the South side and uh, Kristen, who runs the shop over there, she said that it makes an amazing Negroni. And so I thought, oh, like I love Negronis and what a cool thing to try. So if you put it with a little bit of gin and a, um, some vermouth, uh, you can use red or white, but white kind of goes a little bit better and just stir it up equal parts of all things. That's another really, really delicious way to enjoy it. But yeah, I, I just encourage people to experiment. And then of course, share your recipes with us so that we can share them with everybody else. Because I think that's the fun of cocktails is just experimenting and taking a little bit of the seriousness out of it. And, you know, I think given that we're in Alberta and we all know we're buckling up for a cold, long winter, um, it just, and obviously the layer of a pandemic still, um, it's fun thing to do is to kind of get into these new niches of, you know, I know for myself, I'm, I am exploring cocktails. So this is a fun thing to add to my mini bar, um, throughout the winter. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because at first people said to me, oh, this would make a great summer drink because it's so fresh. It's so herbaceous. But as you start to mix it with different flavors, it becomes a really cozy winter drink as well. I was just chatting with uh, the team over at Token Bitters and, you know, they're, they're fooling around with it a little bit. Now I, I gave them, um, you know, a few tastes of it. And one of the things we talked about is just dropping some of their dark cherry bitters in there. Um, and then, you know, adding some, some other ingredients to complement. I think that sounds delicious. So yeah, it's all, it's all an open canvas. And I think we don't need to take ourselves too seriously with anything. 
um, just try stuff. And, and what's the worst that'll happen. You don't like it. That's okay. Just don't make it again. That dark cherry does sound good. Um, okay. So Fiza, now that the cat's out of the bag with everything you can do with peas and not only peas, but peas from Alberta in our own backyard, do you foresee competitors following suit? I hope so. Um, you know, I really hope so because ultimately the goal here is to connect people with these ingredients that grow here locally and in such abundance, but also to give these growers and farmers more of a market um, to sell their products. I think, you know, the more I look at historically at, at the way different crops are priced and how competitive it is and how it's controlled by such a small group um, and even regulated, like I just feel like these growers don't they don't get the same benefits that we do by being their consumers. And so I really hope that people start doing more with more goods because that also takes the pressure off of other crops. You know, when we think about things like climate change or increased urbanization or all these things, like we are dealing with scarcity. And if we're relying too much on just one or two crops, that's a dangerous situation to be in similar to, you know, businesses that aren't exporting. You're putting all your eggs into one, one little basket. And I hope there's competition because Again, I think that just lends itself for increased creativity um, and it raises the bar for everybody to just be better and do better and try new things. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we see a lot of people doing things with peas. So tell me more about what you hope to see um, as a whole in Alberta in the agriculture space in the next, you know, let's say five to 10 years. You know, I'm still a newbie when it comes to agriculture. Um, and, you know, in, in my opinion, sometimes ignorance is bliss because it allows you to ask a lot of silly questions and find out a lot of interesting things from it. Um, so I don't know still a ton about agriculture, but what I would love to see is, you know, Canada has a really strong brand for amazing ingredients, high quality food obviously very nice people, but I would love to see that brand narrow down into Alberta. And I would love to see Alberta get its dues for all of the things that we grow here and not be known just for oil and gas or just for wheat and canola or, or just for one type of technology like you know we are for AI. I wanna see a little bit more diversity coming to Alberta. And so you know, I was at Fort Edmonton Park a couple of weeks ago and I was meeting with the team there and we were kind of taking a walkthrough and they were telling me about the variety of plants and you know herbs and medicinal um medicinal plants i guess that are grown just that are that are indigenous to that place in edmonton specifically to fort edmonton park and we were just walking and there was like some sage growing and they're like oh smell this sage it's amazing and i thought you know that's really interesting to me i would have never thought that we have the kind of biodiversity that we have here. And I know there's other folks that are, are much more seasoned in this than I am. And have been, you know, they, they'll kind of be like, well, yeah, we've been telling you this for years, but I think I would love to just have that become more of a well-known fact. And I would love for people to be more aware of what we actually have here. And, and for us to be able to go to other parts of the world and say, oh, I'm from Alberta. Say, oh, we love what you guys are doing in Alberta. We love you know, we love your, your sage, for example, or we love, you know, these products that are coming out of this, this province. So have you seen other provinces doing things like that or within that space that you feel like Alberta can follow suit on or adopt? I do think that as a province, we talk a lot about economic diversification. We are finally starting to see um, some resources being put behind some of our creative industries and behind 
um, you know, advanced technology. But I think there's always been some sort of, from my perspective, at least, there's always been some tension between agriculture and oil and gas and energy. And I, I'm not sure why that is, but to me, it seems like we should be doubling down on everything that we can produce in this province. And that includes the primary production of, of these crops. And when I say that, I mean the part of the value chain that lets us take what we grow and actually turn it into a product that a raw ingredient that people can use to make a final product. And so, you know, with peas, for example, or, or some other um, pulses, you need to fraction them. So you need to separate them into their parts of starch, fiber, protein. And we don't have facilities to do that in Alberta. It's a very expensive endeavor, like, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And what I've seen happening in Saskatchewan and Manitoba is is that they are investing in those types of facilities from a government level as well as private sector. And I think we need more of that here in Alberta. I mean, I know there are some companies that are that are working on this privately, and that's amazing, but these to me are like public good. And you know, I think our, I think our government can get a little bit more involved in figuring that out because it would really help us attract companies from around the world that want to be located and bring jobs and bring investment to a region where this type of production is thriving. So I'll give you an example. Um, you know, Oatly was looking for some places in Canada to manufacture their oat milk. Um, Beyond Meat was looking for places to expand. I know that there's been some really amazing investment in Manitoba and Saskatchewan. I think Roquette, which is a, a giant um plant protein manufacturer is I believe in Manitoba and that that's huge for the province because it brings foreign investment which is a new way of injecting money into an economy it brings jobs which is a great way to you know um, spur an economy and and get people spending money because they have more money to spend and it's also a great source of pride you know to know that things are made in your province and so I think that's where we need to be a little bit more aggressive um, and not miss the opportunity because people are really excited about the future of plants and vegetables and crops. And we can't really just sit around idle and, and wait for that to pass us by. Well, look, everything I know about you as my dear friend and former colleague, you are such a curious person. And I'm so excited to watch and see what launching this brand and giving you kind of freedom to move into this space and create conversations and start these connections. Um, I just can't wait to see what you do with this beyond um, the field notes, um, because I think you're, you have such an important voice um, and ideas and you're so smart. So to be moving towards this space is, is exciting. Um, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that because, you know, for me, it was never about making alcohol. It was about learning more about this space. And I think that's why I allowed the opportunity of alcohol to kind of, kind of appear in front of me and, and for me to take hold of it. And so I think every conversation and every new experience will lead to another interesting opportunity. And so I'm equally curious and, and excited to see what comes next, but I definitely know that it'll, it'll involve some really smart people uh, in this province and a lot of great partnerships and a lot of great conversations. So in the meantime, where can people find this garden Amaro called, call, don't call me sweet pea? Uh, you know what? It's in retail stores all across the province. If you go to our website, uh, which is www.sipfieldnotes.com, 
you will see that there is a section on the homepage that lists our stockists. And so, you know, in Edmonton, we're, we're in most of the, uh, the boutique liquor stores and they've been great at supporting us. But I think what's been even, even nicer is the farmers from across rural Alberta that have been asking their local liquor, liquor store to carry the product and have been emailing me um, notes of encouragement because they're just so excited that, uh, that more people are interested in what they're growing. And so we're, we're in some surprising places and definitely go to our website to, to find a place near you. And where else can people find you on social media if they get it and they want to tag you a drink or tag a drink? Well, we always welcome follows and tags, especially when it comes to recipes and seeing ourselves on a shelf. You can follow us on Instagram at Sip Field Notes. And we're also on LinkedIn in case you want to connect over there. Amazing. Okay. And now for the last question, Faiza, what is your favorite dish? You have to choose one in Edmonton where you go to eat, eat out. Your favorite dish, not restaurant necessarily, but favorite dish. Oh my God. I know. It's so hard because it really depends how we feel in the morning um, because there are amazing places here. One kind of go-to that I always crave is there's a restaurant in the South East called um, Savoy and they make South Indian food and they make a masala dosa, which is to die for. If you've never had dosa before, it's basically it's a large, crispy, thin crepe that's made from a mix of rice and lentils and some other stuff that I don't know. It's fermented overnight and turned into this batter. And then you make this giant crepe. Like when, when I say giant, I mean, when they fold it, it takes up the length of the table. And then they put different stuffings inside. My favorite is the original masala dosa, which has, um, you know, a curried uh, potato filling inside it. And obviously it's made to share and it comes with all of these different um, sauces and dips and, uh, you know, a, a vegetable curry, a vegetable lentil curry that you can dip your dosa into. Um, if you've never had it before, I definitely encourage you to try, take some friends and, and go to Savoy for that masala dosa. It is phenomenal. You will love it. Faiza, thank you for coming on the show and chatting with us. It was so good to hear your thoughts within the agriculture space, learn more about field notes and I can't wait um, to talk to you again and have you back on the show to see what's launching next. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's it for this episode of That's Food. Today's episode was produced by me, Marie Choquette. You can find me on Instagram at Tomato Wheels. Thank you to Pfizer Ramji for speaking with us. Our music is by Doug Hoyer. You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and on our website, that'sfood.transitor.fm. You can contact us at that'sfood at cjsr.com. We are That's Food CJSR on Facebook and Instagram. That's Food is produced at CJSR in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. But is it food? That's, That's food! food.